right into it kings of the podcast episode 126 dennis bernstein we have beyond a full slate i'm going to break some early news here we're actually going to go into overtime today that is how much we have to cover i'm just going to tell everybody right up front that is how much content we have to cover in this episode db you know jay we need to go into overtime because this episode is literally four years in the making a kings of the podcast and we weren't ever in existence for the first two years so this episode's a playoff episode uh, great end to the season and just really looking forward to Monday night in Edmonton when uh, things kick off uh, for the Kings. Yeah, so wrap your mind around that, listeners. This is the Kings of the Podcast Playoff Preview Edition. We've never done a Playoff Preview Edition. At least we've never done one that involves the LA Kings. So, Dennis, <laughs> here's the agenda for today. This is what we're going to do. Everyone's going to stay with us. It's going to be like a seven-hour episode. It's going to be fantastic. Um, first period you and i are going to do like <laughs> you Seven like that hours. one db yeah. db just went white as a ghost he's, he has three red bulls now he's going to chug um first period we're going to do a playoff preview you and i'll give some predictions we'll have more of our predictions on the fourth period for our our, our annual you know yes. playoff uh notes but we're going to go through a little bit of that second period we're going to have a guest jason Greger, former player he's now a, a radio big timer up in edmonton we'll mm-hmm. bring him on a great guy and he'll help us preview in depth, the Kings Oilers series. Then in the third period, I have exclusive audio DB. Uh, Matt Green is going to make his first appearance on the podcast. But look, man, in all seriousness, that's not the headline here. The headline, of course, was Dustin Brown retiring. Uh, I have some exclusive audio that we're going to share for Kings of the Podcast listeners, uh, commentary from Dustin Brown. We also have Rob Blake joining us. We have Luke Robitaille. We have, as I said, Matt Green. We have Jared Stoll. It's going to be a uh, jam-packed third period and then in the overtime period, you and I will just reflect and share some memories on Dustin Brown. Does that sound like uh, does that sound like a good agenda today, DB? It's a beautiful plan. So I've been to my second Red Bull. So let's get to it. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, I want to just share two quick comments off the hop because I will forget to mention them later once we get into the sentimental Dustin Brown section and once we get knee deep in the playoffs, DB. And that is, um, I tweeted this out the other day, and I said I would talk about it on the podcast. There are four Kings prospects, Gabe Velarde, Jordan Spence, Kapari, and of course, number 55, Quentin Byfield, that were part of some paper transactions that are technically eligible for the AHL playoffs, the Calder Cup playoffs. They are not going, none of those players are going to be sent down. And some people might be wondering, well, why? The Kings have an overabundance of roster players right now. Here's the reason, DB. Um, Essentially, you can only recall three players during the playoffs. 
And so they've already used their four recalls during the regular season. Mm -hmm. So they can start, this gets kind of technical. They can start the playoffs or they can run the rest of the playoffs with those four players on the roster. However, right. just take, take one of them. Say, say Kapari. If they were to send Gabe, uh, Gabe, if they were to send Rasmus Kapari down to Ontario to begin the playoffs, because they were essentially saying, hey, it's better for him to be playing than sitting if he's not going to be in L.A. And then if they needed him, they couldn't recall him because the other three players are occupying those three mm -hmm. recall spots. They're already sitting in them. And right. so, in other words, they would have to send down one of the other three just to call Kapari back. Right. So it gets a so little it's bit player specific, John. Yeah, it gets a little okay. bit technical. And so yeah. there was some discussion from what I understand within LA Kings management about, about sending one of the players down and do they want to do it because you know all four of them might not be playing and they have plenty of healthy bodies. But at the end of the day, they just said, look, it's too risky. Let's see what happens in the Edmonton series. Let's see how far things go. If it gets to the point at some point where the Ontario Reign are still playing and the LA Kings aren't, then the topic can be readdressed. But for now, Velarde, Spence, Kapari, and Byfield will all remain in Los Angeles on the roster. The other thing that I want to mention just has to do with injuries. I'm sure you've um, received a couple of these tweets because I, I know that I have uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, everywhere on social media. What's the possibility of Drew Doughty coming back? DB, yeah. uh, DD number eight has been shut down. He will not make sure. an appearance no matter how right. many rounds the Kings go. He is done. And there is one other little injury note to pass along as well for those that are the eternal optimist. Sean Walker um, has been skating of late, including this morning, early this morning, back at Toyota Sports Performance Center. Uh, but again, he has been completely shut down and will not make an appearance, even if the Kings made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Sean Walker is not expected to be back uh, this season. So look for him come training camp. So with that being said, DB, let's power through it because we want to get to the other stuff here today. But we have uh, eight series, four in the East, four in the West. Let's give our predictions. We'll start out in the Eastern Conference and work our way West. First series to talk about here would be Carolina and Boston. Who do you have? Uh, this is a long series. I, I'm not I, not confident on Carolina because of Freddie Anderson's status with respect to his lower body injury. So I think a long series. Uh, I like Carolina, but I like in a long series. All right. I love it when we disagree. I'm going with the yeah. Bruins in seven. Mm -hmm. Like you, I think it's a long series. I just think that people are sleeping on Boston right now. I know they're not the old Bruins, but I still yeah. like the Bruins enough in this series to take care of business. Next series, New York Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. DB, this could be a sweep. Uh, I'm going to say the Rangers in five. You know, Jay, the, the odds makers like have the Penguins like the they, they've set the odds like a seven-game series, and I don't see it. Tristan Jari, they've reported he has a broken bone in his foot. So he's not – and, Jay, you know, when they say week to week, it's never one week. So I don't think he's going to get through this series, and they have a lot of age. The only way I see this happening, John, is from Pittsburgh's standpoint, is that one last ride for, you know, Rust is a free agent. Latang's a free agent. He's probably going to Montreal for a last ride. Uh Gino's a free agent. He says he's rich and got a lot of money, but does he want to go play somewhere else? I just don't see it. And not only that, regardless of if Jerry's healthy or not, they have the better goaltender in New York. They're a deeper team. They're a better team. They're more physical. They have a 50-goal score. Again, I don't see why the prices are so close on this. Not only that, John, layer on top of that, the Penguins have sucked in the preseason the last three seasons. They haven't done anything. So this group, unless they're really going to summon some great run here, I don't see it. I agree with you. I think it's a shorter series, and I do like the Rangers here. I think it would be a significant upset, even if the the odds makers don't say so. 
Yeah, I would agree. That would be uh, considered a definite upset. All right, the one that everybody's going to be talking about, uh, Toronto versus Tampa Bay. Uh, look, at the end of the day, uh, you, you can um, – you can get some false victory out of this if you're Toronto and you can say that it's, oh, it's not like the other years where they lost again in the first round. Look at who they played. I don't care if they take it to seven games. I don't care if seven games, uh, individually, all seven games go to overtime, DB. It's yeah. going to be another first-round loss for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I just don't see Tampa giving up the ghost in the first round and uh, finding a way to lose. I'm going with the Lightning in six games. I don't think they're going to go all the way back to the Cup final, DB, but I do think they have enough to get by Toronto here. John, I sat on a hot stove today. Imagine you have a 115-point season. You won 54 games. Your goal <laughs> differential is plus 62, and here's your reward. You get to play the two-time Stanley Cup champions out of the box. Very difficult. And look, not for nothing, Toronto's really good, John. Like They're a really, really good team, but I don't know. Here's the issue with Tampa. Right? Three weeks ago, like there was two trains of thought. Tampa's they're playing a lot of hockey. They've played 54 games. They played 70 games. Now they're playing 82. They look tired. Vasilevsky was giving up goals down the stretch that he wasn't giving up. He, he didn't look good. And the other trainer thought was, okay, they're laying in the weeds and they don't really care who they play or when they play or what seed they are. And I thought, okay, this team's tired. Until the last two weeks, John, when they when they poleaxed Florida and they beat the crap out of, out of Toronto, they're laying in the weeds. And when they still have Vasilevsky and they still have Stamkos, who's been on a great run, and they still have Hedman, like you got to favor the Tampa Bay Lightning here if they're healthy. And they're not the powerhouse I think they were last year, so they won't walk through Toronto. But I got to pick Tampa Bay in the series. Yeah, I texted Ric Flair earlier today. I wanted to know what he was thinking about the playoffs. And he said, one thing, brother, to be the man, you have to beat the man. And so uh, basically what he was telling me is he likes Tampa in this series as well. So good luck, Toronto Maple Leafs fans that are listening last series out in the east db i know that uh you already have your florida panthers uh tattoo that you picked up earlier in the year i know you're all in on the panthers uh you sold your car you bet the mortgage you're, you're a florida guy i think you drew the easier matchup here because i think florida washington i, I this is going to be a short series as well db um i have florida and five what do you like well look first of all is ovi totally healthy I know he was running around Ranson Square Garden the other night, and he didn't have you – know, he hurt his shoulder, obviously. Like, when you saw the injury, he banged it through the boards with his shoulder. Uh, you know, a guy, Alex Ovechkin, with a bad shoulder, is not really going to help them win, right? But I think he's going to play. How is he going to be 100%? I doubt it. The thing is, John, like you need a huge cold-tending performance to beat Florida right now. And neither one of those guys in Washington are going to put up a huge goal-tending performance. Hey, I DB, you know what else you need? Right. You need a huge defensive performance as That's well, true. because with, I mean, that is just, you know, firepower on top of firepower on top yeah. of firepower. Yeah, I think this sets up nicely for, for Florida. I think that's the best draw they could have got is Washington. They got some vets. They got some guys that have won cups here. But, again, I just think that it's a, it's a bit of an, a mismatch here with respect to Florida. I think they would breeze as well. I agree with you. All right, let's move out to the Western Conference. I'll uh, I'll serve this one up to you first, since I went first on the last couple. Minnesota versus St. Louis, which is a dream matchup for many people in the Midwest. They're liking this series a lot. What do you think about Minnesota versus St. Louis? Certainly two teams that are built differently. Well, I think one thing, John, the big picture, like everybody thinks seven-game war. So what does that do? That really helps Colorado. Like if these teams walk through fire and play seven games and they beat each other up, that's going to make it really easy for Colorado in the next round. 
this series. John, I look at the discrepancy on special teams. I think St. Louis was second in power play and fifth in penalty kill. And I think Minnesota's down in the 20s on both special teams. I think that's the difference. Like, and I think there's not much of a difference between the goaltenders, even though I want to give a slight edge to Minnesota in goaltending because of the presence of Marc-Andre Fleury. I think it'll be a deep series, but I just think the strength of their special teams in St. Louis, I think that wins them the series. Yeah, I also see this as kind of St. Louis's final stand. I think that the tide is about to turn. I think if this, I agree with you, by the way, St. Louis in yeah. seven. But I think with, if this same series is played again next year, I, you know, mm. a year from now, I'm already taking Minnesota today. So you can cut the audio and you can put it out there. I'm taking Minnesota next year. But uh, I, I, for once in my life, I'm going to take the Blues to win a series. Um, oh, so there you go. Boy, that's, a, that's breaking news. I'm it's breaking news. Right You're right. I'm taking St. Louis in seven. Um uh, okay, next up, let's go to the Colorado-Nashville series. Uh, my only notes here would be, um, you know, obviously what's happening in goal for Nashville is going to play huge yeah. in this in this series. What's up with Soros? But uh, you also have the Jack Johnson stat. I don't know if you saw this one today, DB. No team that has had Jack Johnson on the roster has ever won a playoff series. <laughs> so I don't know what they're doing in Colorado today to find a way to uh, get him off the roster. But could this finally <laughs> be the year that Colorado or that Johnson, I should say, wins a playoff yeah. series, regardless of whether he plays or not. Um, I have Colorado winning this series in five games, DB. I will give Nashville one game. But I will say this, those division rivals, it's not yeah. often that a division series only goes five games. It could go a little bit longer if they get some goaltending. Um, you know, we all know what uh, what Nashville has back there, really something special on the blue line. So, DB, right. what do you think? I have Colorado in five. Well, if so well I'll say this about uh, Nashville, first of all. They must have really, really wanted to play college. They must know something about Colorado, John. Because if you watch the game on Friday night when they're up 4 nothing at Gila River against the Coyotes, and all they got to do is win the game to get to get Calgary instead of Colorado, yeah. and they lose and give you a five-three goals. Why are you dissing the Coyotes? Come on now, give them some respect. Oh, they're they a wagon now. They didn't just—they didn't just fold down the stretch. They, that's they true. Swinging. Right, they did, and they didn't want to get the first overall pick, I guess. But the, when I see that happen in Nashville, and Saros is injured, we don't know how. And if, if you're going to put big save Dave Riddich in against Colorado, yeah, I think you're generous with one game. So I think that it's <laughs> it's because that was the one hope, right? If you had Saros in there, he's been one of the best. He gets hot. You know, look, Duchesne's had a great season, right? Josie's uh, uh, going to win the Norris redemption season for Duchesne, who I've never really liked as a player. So to me, it's been a lot of good, a lot of good stores in Nashville. But again, they lose the other night. Now they get Colorado. I don't. This would be a massive up. This would be as big as Columbus beating Tampa Bay back in the day. That's how big an upset this would be in this series. Uh, well, we're going to have to get John Tortorella on the podcast, and, and he can let us know if that if that ends up happening. We'll get his take on if that was a big upset. Uh, Calgary and Dallas. DB, I love this series. I have Calgary in seven, but I, I, it's a coin flip. I think Dallas can take this series. I really do. Uh, not, John, they're a one-line team, though. That's the problem. Like, their top line, Jason Robertson, Hintz, Joe Pavelski, who is old man river keeps flowing. I, I just don't see enough on their bottom. Like, you, here's how they could win. You need huge series from Sagan and Ben. If they don't deliver the goods in the series, it's a short series. So I think the top line will produce. I, I just don't, there's not enough depth. And I watch Calgary, who's a very well-formed team. They're not going to give up a lot defensively. Markstrom's been great. The, the one thing, John, though, going back to Calgary and to Colorado, if you add up the four goaltenders, the amount of postseason wins they have, it's 17. Markstrom has eight. Kemper has seven. 
Frank Cruz has two. And the other guy, I forget. Who you only need 16 is. to win the cup, DB. Yeah, I know. But but to have but to have not the quality in net for both those teams, like you don't know what's going to happen. Like that's the one thing. You, you really don't know what's going to happen with these guys because none of them are really proven in a big spot. I, I think this is a shorter series than what you anticipate, John. I just think Calgary's too well-balanced. And again, they've got two guys. Like nobody ever talks about Elias Lindholm. Like the guy had 40 goals this year. Like he's been fantastic. So I think they got more than enough to get by. But then, you know, we'll see what happens in the the, uh, the rounds. And th- the other question, John, is, and we know this from the guy who we covered for a long time, Daryl never takes his foot off the accelerator and really didn't take his foot off the gas like this whole season. Is this team going to be tired coming into the first round? Have they been pushed too hard? And I think that's another question. But I think there's just too much quality in Calgary not to think that they can be- get by this first round matchup with Dallas. All right. Well, I have Calgary in seven. So we both have the same team coming out on the other end. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I have Calgary in seven. I'm just saying, I think, I think, think Dallas, it, I wouldn't be as surprised as what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, it, I, I like Dallas as kind of a sleeper team in the West. And I kind of like Boston as a sleeper team, at least in the first round mm-hmm. uh, out in the East. Okay. We'll wrap up with Edmonton and LA DB. I was on with Boomer the other day. Yeah. Uh, and I said the Kings in six and uh, he, he wanted to laugh me off the air. Uh, but I do believe the LA Kings have an opportunity and can win this series. I think Jonathan Quick is playing out of his mind. And this was even prior to the Dustin Brown announcement. I think that that is a rallying point for the team as well. I think they've been getting it done as a group defensively all year long. Uh, Phil Deneau, who is, you know, has proven that he can he can shut the, the, the top guys down on Edmonton. I think there's an opportunity there. I just I think there's a lot going on in Los Angeles. I could see the Kings winning this series, or I do see the Kings winning this series, I should say, in six games, DB. What do you say? Well, you know, the Twitterverse has me the villain here, right? I'm, I'm the villain with respect to the Kings media. So, um, and look, they're playing with house money, but um, the house. Are they, though, DB? Are they? Yeah, 99 yeah, they points. Yeah, no, I still, but who's picking them? Look at the odds, right? They're, I think, the fourth or fifth biggest underdog. So I, I don't think there's a lot, a lot of people. So I think they're playing. Look, John, it's already been a successful season. Like, and and I know that I think what with about two months ago, you said, look, they got to make the playoffs. It's not negotiable. And he did that. Right. So they're playing with house money and the house usually wins. But you know something, John? I agree with you. I think they're going to find a way with me. Come on. No fun. You agree with me. No, I I think they're going to find a way. And and remember, yes, they lost three out of four to this team, but they lost one in a shootout. They were close games, DB. They were one goal games. Right, exactly. The last game in 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 L A. that really decided the division when Edmonton won mm-hmm. it was a three two game. Mm-hmm. So I think it's close enough. And John, all the pressures on Edmonton. They have to win this series. Like the Kings don't have to win this series. And it, it, like I said, there was you know we'll talk to Jason Greger about it. Like they got to win the series. Like and with all their their if they lose game one, then they're going to start thinking about last year in, against Winnipeg and two years ago against Chicago. So. I just think that the way the Kings are playing, they played well down the stretch, right? And people talk about strength of schedule. And I said it matters. And people, oh, that doesn't matter. You got to win games. No, it helped this team. It gave this team confidence going in. Jonathan Quick found his game. So, like, there there are components of their game, John, that they can win this series. Now, what do they have to do? They can't go into penalty box. They can't take stupid penalties. And they have to. it has to be low-scoring games. It's got to be like that 3-2 game. They left the last one they played. And they're not winning the series by 5-4 games. They've got to stick to their structure. They've got to be all in. And, you know, Edmonton isn't the biggest team in the in the world, so they're not going to be overpowered physically by this team. Sure, there's a lot of talent. Of course, the statistics, uh, you know, lay up for the 
for the Oilers. But I just think that this team, this is certainly, John, I'll tell you, the they're not scared of the Oilers, like without nope. question. They're, nope. they are not intimidated by this team. So they're going to go into Edmonton Monday night, try to play their game. And it's a question. And, John, why this series is so intriguing to me, and you can chime in here, because these teams are so differently stylistically. There's nothing to match. Like maybe the old guys in net, but the way they play the game, the way the lineups line up, they are so different. So if the team who can impose their will or have to play their type of game, I think ultimately wins the series. But I, for once, uh, I agree with you. And John, this goes back to the cup years when I picked against the Kings every single round. Like, so I'm, I'm breaking a little, uh, uh, one of my habits here, but I agree with you. I do think they'll find a way here. All right. The games with two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 12 is a magic number for me. And for some reason, it's a magic number with the Kings. It's my lifelong favorite number. And uh, so, yes, on the 12th, that would be game six. So let's wrap it up in six games. And uh, we we will do more Kings of the podcast because there would be a second round edition. So uh, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll be back with Jason Greger. We'll talk all about this series, Kings, Oilers, round one, right after the break. Hey, we now the peace, we just disappear. So here we are, Los Angeles. Now we just seeing it belly up on it. I watch the star roll down and the big over Okay, if someone said to trip Welcome back. Second period. This is the playoff edition of Kings of the Podcast TV. So we had to uh, bring on somebody from the opposition. Jason Greger, former player. He's uh, the host on TSN 1260. Also does his podcast, Daily Faceoff Podcast. This guy knows everything about the Edmonton Oilers. who was the perfect guest to bring on the show. Greg, what's happening? Not much, boy. Finally, the playoffs are here. It's like the longest regular season ever, it seems. I understand why, but it's just been uh, it's nice to finally be, be looking ahead to the, uh, the playoffs and uh, anything can happen in the playoffs. That's what makes it so great. So I can't wait. I prefer to think of it as it's been 30 years uh, that we've been waiting for this because the Kings and Oilers back in the old Smythe division days, those two teams could not avoid each other. They always met up in the playoffs. And now 30 years later, they finally get to hook up again. So all of the expansion, all of the changes, you know, Gretzky's long since retired. That's all behind us now. But it's it's old school. It's back to the old days again. It's Kings Oilers. That's pretty exciting for me. Uh, me too, man. I, you know what? Um, like, I wish the NHL would go one step further in their playoff format. Um, and it wouldn't impact the West this year. But uh, if you look at the East, there's four teams from each division. Why are they crossing over? It's the dumbest thing I've ever, like, you try to promote rivalries. <laughs> and, and now you have teams that are separated by two points and they're not going to play. And like, I get the Eastern time zone. Those teams are, are closer. So it's a little different. But you imagine if that happened out West, you have LA. And, uh, and, and because L.A. would have finished first, let's say, one year in the Pacific, and the fifth-place team like this year, instead of playing a, a Western-based team, they got to go all the way to the central time zone. Like, that would be foolish. And so I don't understand why. I get when it's 5-3, and three, I totally understand. The best eight record. But if you have the best eight record, then it's 4-4. Four and four. Just stay in your division, and let's create some rivalries. Because the Oilers and the, and the Kings, what was it? Uh, they met seven times in, the, in a 10-year span, right? Like, that's yeah. great stuff, right? You, that's, to me, what you want. That's how you create rivalries. Well, it was great, except for the year that Craig Muni decided to go Craig Muni on Thomas Sandstrom. You know, oh, I mean, no. that was a great series. It was oh, no. six there games, it is. There four it is. overtimes, two it. double overtimes, one of the greatest series in NHL history. But look, I, I, we could talk all about that forever, and you you'd probably would be bored with my takes. So let's fast forward to this uh, particular series. To me, 
it's Jonathan Quick versus Mike Smith as kind of the headline story. What, what's a headline for you? Well, any series has got McDavid, man. Like to me, it's like without Drew Doughty. Like when Drew Doughty's in, like the the Kings beat the Orders once this year, and I was on Drew Doughty's in the lineup. Um, I, like Drew still to me an, an elite player. Uh, the, the thing I like about Doughty is he's just so competitive. He's like, like almost you know. I talked to some guys that Luke Robitaille even admitted on our podcast. He felt like you know the, the last few years when the Kings weren't competitive, you know, people were like, oh, Drew's not as good. He goes, he's just so competitive that. You know, when your team's out of it, then it, he just, it's not as fun for him. And I really think that, you know, without Dowdy, that just, I, I could see McDavid going off. McDavid's been a different player this year. Um, I, you know, the last year's loss in the playoffs to Winnipeg, where the orders for lots of stretches of that series controlled the play, outshot the, the Jets. But then the orders self-imploded too many times in that series with terrible giveaways that led directly to goals. They lost three games in overtime, right? And two of them were on bad giveaways. So, uh, I, I think to me the storyline is like, can the Kings contain McDavid? And it's you know, can Dino do? Uh, can Dino uh, disrupt David? That that's McDavid. Excuse me. That to me is the storyline I'll be watching because Dino obviously last year. You know, look at Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews did nothing in that series, Toronto and Montreal. Right? He had one goal, and uh, Dino was a major reason of it. Now McDavid attacks a little bit different, but that's what I'm looking at in this series. But Jason, but how much does their failure in the last two playoffs against Winnipeg, and you, you're right about the series, it, it wasn't 4-0, but they did lose four straight, and then the prior season against Chicago, and granted it was in a bubble and stuff, but but how much does Dwayne that team, because I agree, if you look at the matchups, if you look at the stats, I, heavily in favor of, of the Edmonton Oilers, but the flip side of that, Jason, is all the pressures on the Oilers, they have to win this series or else they might burn down the arena. So what do you think about the, pre- the inherent pressure on Emin to win at least this series now. Well, I, I would agree with that, Dennis. That there's there's legit pressure here for for the Edmonton Oilers, but that's kind of what the pressure that, like that's what the playoffs are supposed to be, right? Um, you know, like the Edmonton Oilers since Jay Woodcroft's come in, like the Oilers have have done what the Oilers couldn't do, even even under McClellan or, or Tippett. The Oilers, well, the one year I, I shouldn't say that the one year with Todd McClellan, they did limit their goals against five on five, but for the most part, they've been a tire fire five on five. Uh, since Woodcroft come in, he, he yeah. changed some things. He basically said, Darnell Nurse, you're playing all of our tough minutes. He's not on the power play anymore. He, 50.9% of his ice time, and he plays the most, was against the opposing team's elite players. Like, that's ridiculous. Guys like McCarr and, and Slavin and Hedman, they're at like 35 or 6%. Then Nurse is up at 50. So, you know what? You watch this, and he's paired, with, and he's, they took Bouchard away from Nurse as they should. He's a rookie. Don't ask a rookie to play all the tough minutes. And right. he said, Darnell and Cody Cece, this is your role, and uh, I, I think they've relished it. But you know, I, I do think that 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 tough loss, and, and it's funny um, because you go back to 1982, guys. The Edmonton Oilers, Wayne Gretzky and them talked about it, losing to the LA Kings that year, right? Like. They, they were, what were they, up 50 points in the regular season or something mm-hmm. stupid yeah. against the Kings, and they blew game three, right? And then and they still, like, everybody thinks game three was the final game. No, no, no. The, the Daryl Evans miracle was only game three, and they, they still couldn't win the series. And they learned from that. And I think that sometimes you need a real good kick in the teeth, and, and that's what the orders got last year and, and even the year before. Um, so I think that's kind of uh, has built up for this team. And the orders have been a much more focused team, um, especially under Woodcroft. And I, I do I do expect that to continue in the postseason. Now, you mentioned Darnell Nurse, and, and nobody seems to want to say, at least at the time of recording this on Saturday afternoon, you know, late Saturday afternoon, 
that he's definitely going to be available. All indications are that he's going to be ready to go for game one. But you do have to wonder, coming back, right, is he really truly 100% yeah. and can he withstand the series? Just what what's, what's the difference with Nurse in the lineup versus without him in the lineup and how much of a factor? I mean, you just mentioned it a moment ago, but how much of a factor do you think he's going to end up playing in this series uh, if he does versus does not play? Well, I think if he put, well, regardless, I think game one, uh, whether he's, if he's in the, well, if he's in the lineup, I think they're going to start 11 and seven. They've done that in about 45% of the games with Woodcroft. So it wouldn't be all of a sudden, you know, uncharted territory for them, the defenseman. And I think the reason you do that is you protect yourself on the odd chance that nurse re-aggravates something, right? Because if he re-aggravates it, now all of a sudden you're down to five defense in a playoff game and, and that's not ideal. So, I think that they'll go with seven and eleven in game one um, with Nurse playing, and, and maybe he'll have sheltered minutes. Now Nurse is a freak athlete. He's as a as just as a pure athlete, he's not the best player, but he's the best athlete on the list. I don't know if there's much question uh, about that. Um, you know, like the guy played 65 minutes in a playoff game last year and didn't even look tired. Actually, flew home and stayed up all night for the birth of his child. So he, but they miss him, guys. And I like because Edmonton's defense. The one thing, if I'm the LA Kings, I am pounding the orders blue line. Right, the Oilers do not have a very big defense, you, if, especially if you took Darnell Nurse out. Like Tyson Berry, he's actually more is more effective in the postseason historically. He's a competitive player, but he's not very big. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Russell, leader all time in shot box, but he's five foot ten. Right, but we all know that the games get heavier in the postseason. Kopitar, Dustin Brown, like they got a few guys in LA. They want to lean on guys, and if I'm the Kings, I think their their key to success will be to go after the Oilers' defense, who is more of a puck moving. You know, move the puck up. They, they change how they defend. They like to try to stand up more at the blue line. They have a lot of back pressure from their forwards. So the orders, because if the orders get engaged defensively in battles one-on-one in front of the net, a lot of time they're going to lose them because they only have, like, one defense and over 205 pounds. Right? Like, they're just not a big, heavy team. And so I'll be curious how the Kings attack. And if Darnell Nurse is in, obviously that's a huge game changer. If he's out, I think Edmonton could handle game one or two without him. But like anything, guys, the longer you go in a series, the more you miss your best players, it's harder. So uh, I think if Darnell Nurse isn't ready early, uh, you know, the Kings got to take advantage. You know, their best chance is if they can get a win early in that series without Darnell Nurse. Jason, let's talk about an X factor, a guy who wasn't in the mix, started the season. He was signed in the midseason, played 19 minutes a night, 22 goals, 17 assists, plus 25 for Evander Kane. How he has he made this team different? Night and day. Now, Kane, now, because um, that's kind of the two thing of Kane. There's Kane, the player, no no concerns about it. The other stuff, well, you know, that's a topic for another day, probably. But since Kane's come in, guys, he's been exactly what you expect. He's a legit goal scorer, right? He's got, what is he? I think he was, uh, in the last five years, he was the 20th or 22nd in the NHL in goals. Like, you know, and that was without McDavid. So, of course, you're playing with McDavid or Drysaddle. Like, you know, guy with that skill he's proven it the other thing he's brought though he's got an edge like he's a legit power for it he's not intimidated by anybody on the ice um you know, he, he's a little bit over aggressive at times takes a few penalties but the order's penalty kill I, i've always argued if you take aggressive penalties for some reason those are easier to kill off than lazy penalties and he has brought an attitude on the ice but he's brought a skill set to this team and they now have three legit forwards maybe four was that kind Hyman brings you a different element that they haven't had but if you look at the order's top nine, with Kane, Hyman, and Fogel, their entire left side guys weren't here last year. right? And then veteran Derek Ryan, Tim Nugent, Hopkins, and Fogel, like, that, that's been a really good third line 
for the Edmonton orders. And I, I've, all, I've argued for years with the order fans that Nugent Hopkins, when they're good, he's a third-line center. Because he's not mm-hmm. good enough five-on-five five offensively to be a, a second-line guy. And so now he's freed up. He doesn't. He's not. It's going to be McDavid and, and Drysaddle against Kopitar and Deneau for the most right. part, I would guess. So now that frees up a guy like Nugent Hopkins. And you know, in a few years, I don't think he could physically handle Quentin Byfield, but he can right now because he's got experience, right? So I think that's the line that's, that's, that's going to be key for Edmonton in mismatches potentially. But the order is like Kane, guys. He is everything that a team wants in the playoffs. He's big. He's skilled. He skates. He's aggressive. He plays better when the game's tighter and heavier. So he, he, him and Hyman, are, 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 they, they fill such voids that the orders just haven't had for a long time. Jason, a, a follow-up on Kane, and it's a big-picture question. Like, Has he priced himself out of Edmonton with this performance? I'm assuming he does okay in the postseason. Is it not in the mix for him to return? Or would you even, and you mentioned the off-ice stuff, would you even contemplate signing a player like this given the off-ice issues? Well, it's a good question, Dennis. Because to me, I don't know if we can answer the Kane thing until we find out what happens with his arbitration case. Right, 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 right. Um, so, w- w- like, because what percentage, if any or all, does he get of his money owed? Right, he's owed twenty-two point nine million. That's a lot of money. So let's just say, and I'm using Mike Richards, and you guys would know this, right? He got half the money that was owed to him. I know it's very different, and so there's very different cases, but there's really no other precedent, right? So I don't even know what right. else to compare it to. So I'll use that sure. as an example. So let's say Kane gets half, right? So that's 11 mil, right? So that you split that, you know, he was supposed to be getting 21 in the final three years. Now he's got 11. So if a team signs him for five years, for five mil and three, he's actually going to get 26 million, which mm-hmm. was more than the 21 he had. Sure. Right? Yeah, so, point. It, it, so I don't, like, if, if I'm Evander Kane, if, now what if he gets zero? If he gets zero guys, I think he's just going to chase the money. And, and I, sure. I, I would understand why, because he's right. going to have nothing. But if he gets the money from San Jose and he says, like, I don't need to go and get squat, I guess, sure, maybe he wants seven, but does he need it if he wants to win? Because let's be real here. Very few teams have enough money in free agency to pay a, a big-time guy that are legit contenders, right? Like, L.A. went out, and when they got Deneau, you know, and, that's, and, and he's not a $7 million player, but they had enough cap space. Right. Plus, they knew that Dustin Brown's contract was expiring, so it's almost like they lose Dustin Brown after a year, and he's basically the same money as Deno. Right. So like that's so that's that's rare. That doesn't happen uh, very often uh, for teams. So I like who who's going to sign Kane that's going to give him as good of a chance to win and produce. So I think if he gets fifty percent or more of his money, he might just say, "Hey, I've already got that. I was only going to make well, not only I was going to make twenty one mil. Maybe sure. I sign in Edmonton for four or five. Right, just because I'm still ahead of where I was back in December, theoretically, and I'm on a team that's got a legit chance to win because I got McDavid and Drysaddle. So, um, but I think it all it starts with the arbitration, and then like because if he gets zero guys, I think he'll go to the highest bid. Duncan Keith. Sometimes when players come over from other teams, they fit in right away and they look right wearing the other jersey, and you and you never miss a beat. I don't know about you, but for me, Duncan Keith just still doesn't look right wearing an Edmonton Oilers jersey. <laughs> um, he, he looked like a guy who was who had never you know played anywhere else. The first month and a half of the season was a little bit of a struggle for Keith, but then like for three months, he was arguably the Oilers' best defense. Right now, um, I hear he's him and Evan Bouchard have, have become a pretty solid pair, and I, I think they're really hoping that the Duncan Keith. Like he's been through all the wars, guys. Now, when, when he was 
you know, when the, the Chicago Blackhawks and Kings were battling every year, what was that, like 2011, 2015, they're in the conference finals all the time or the Cup. And, like, those were good teams. Duncan Keith, him and Drew Doughty were arguably the two best defense in the game. Right. Keith was legit. He's a Hall of Famer when he's done. There's no question. He's not that player now, but he's still pretty good. Right. Like he's quick. He's not fast. And he's very good. I believe from the, from the top of the circles down in his own zone, he's very quick and he's competitive. So I think that the orders are hoping that that element combined with Bouchard, who's a very good puck mover, you know, he's big and lanky. And I think, you know, if, if Keith can get Bouchard to just play a little bit more invested physically, That'll help him. Like he doesn't have to run guys over, but he he can't play passes in the playoffs for that for that D pair to be successful. So uh, Keith has been an excellent mentor here the last few months for uh, for Evan Bouchard, but there is a little bit of like, can't, will he be able to handle the high pace of a playoff series again? Right, because he is thirty seven. Right, and so as much as you have all that experience in the past, guys, the game's quick now. The game's heavier. So I'm curious to see how how he adapts. I would think his veteran savviness will get him through, but you know you, you can be as smart as all you want. But if the game gets too quick for you, it's tough. So I'll be curious to see how he handles the postseason. Jason, I want to drill down a little bit on Mike Smith. And you had mentioned when Woodcroft came in, he made some changes structurally to this team. So and Mike Smith has been great down the stretch. So this is basically the whole some of the parts question or chicken and egg. Has it been Mike Smith? like legit every night playing great, or is it the team's playing better and has better structure in front of him, the why he's getting results now down the stretch? Well, they definitely have better structure for sure. But if you go, I'll, 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 I'll go back just one step. So last year, Mike Smith had a 923 save for them. Yeah, he was outstanding. Right. And, and that was from February 8th on to the season because he, he missed the first month, right? He played great. And, you know, he started 30 of their final 46 games. He starts the season this year. First three starts, he's at 920. Now, he got hurt, though, midway through that third game. And that was on October 18th, I think it was. Then he doesn't play until December 29th. And between December 29th and February 9th, he played five games. And he had an 872 save percentage. And people were like, oh, he's old. He's a fox. He's done. <laughs> but if you actually look at his last two games there, Smith in, in that second game, and, and it was actually Dave Tippett got fired when they played Mike Smith back-to-back on, on uh, the 8th and ninth, coming out of the uh, the All-Star break. And Mike Smith, even though they lost, like the first game he wasn't good. The second game they lost, but he was sharp. And he says, you know what? I, my timing's back. I feel way better. And then the first game, Jay Woodcroft, he started Mike Smith. And Mike Smith was outstanding against the New York Islanders that night. So, like the orders were terrible in the first 30 minutes of the game. And Mike Smith made like 30 saves. And then the orders were leading one nothing. And since then, Mike Smith has a 9 like 927 save percentage, which is virtually the same as the last season. But now in the last 10 games, guys, like Mike Smith won his last 10 starts. He's got a 960 save percentage and like a 168 goals against. Like obviously those numbers aren't going to be sustainable forever, but I think the combination of better defense helps. But Mike Smith's healthy again. And if, if you look at the last two years, out of his 60 starts, he had a five-game stretch where he was injured and re-aggravated an injury, and it lasted seven weeks. And so, and I was even kind of guilty of it. I was like, geez, this guy got anything left? But he mm -hmm. proved a lot of people wrong, and he's been outstanding down the stretch. And the other thing that Smith brings is his punch handling ability is yeah. massive for this team because I alluded to their, their defense not being great. He gets out, and, and he cuts down at least three, four times a game on a dumping that other teams would probably be able to cycle and keep going. He, he gets knocked it down. 
And, and not only does he either pass his defense, but sometimes he just passes out himself. Like, it's a huge advantage. And, uh, you know, the team's got confidence with him. Like, I talk to the defense, but there are a lot of times when the other team dumps it in, the defensemen aren't even going back behind the net. They're automatically going to the corner because they know that Smith's going to knock it down. All right, let's do a little bit of role reversal to wrap up here then. I, I'm going to pick a player on Edmonton. I'm going to say, look, besides the big-name guys, for people that are watching this series, if you're looking for somebody who doesn't get a lot of headlines that could go off in the series coming out party this year, Yamamoto. This is a guy who we saw in uh, Bakersfield developing early on, obviously a former first-round draft pick, but a real coming-out party this year. I think he had 20 goals. From your perspective, when you look at the L.A. lineup, who's somebody that you're like, you know, that person could be sneaky good in this series? Well, you know what? I, I watched quite a few of the Kings games. Um, and, and the one guy that, that always sticks out to me that, that I like is just because of his speed. Like, I, like you guys obviously watch him, so when I say it's deceptive, that's probably wrong. But, man, and, and maybe he's not considered a big guy because he led your team with. But I think, like, Adrian Kempe's got to have a big series for sure. But the other guy who, who I think might, might stand out, or, or if he makes an appearance, offensively for the Kings, it gives them a much better chance to win. I think it's Andreas Athanasiou, right? Like he's, like he had what? He had like, what, 12 goals, I think, or 11, whatever it is, in 29 games. Like he can skate. He's a guy like, remember when the Kings went on that run? um, Was it January? He scored, like he hadn't scored, and then all of a sudden he was just scoring every key goal for them and winning games. So, like, obviously your big guys, like in Edmonton, have to be the guys. But I think if the Kings are going to upset the orders, they need guys like Athanasiou going. All right, so there you go. Jason Greger, you can follow him on TSN 1260. He's on there all the time. You can uh, listen to the podcast as well. Greg's. it was great having you on. And uh, look, who knows? Maybe at the end of this series, which I think is going to end in six games, we'll have you back on and we can do the debrief on what went down. Boys, anytime. I love it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right, there you go. We'll be back after the break with the third period. More Kings of the Podcast right after this. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, third period. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. As we talked about at the very beginning, we have a bunch of exclusive audio that uh, was recorded at the Dustin Brown press conference the other day announcing his retirement. That took place on Friday. Here's the first clip I want to play for you. It's Mason Brown, and if this doesn't choke you up, you need to go to the doctor and get your heartbeat checked. Here's Mason Brown to kick off the press conference. Hey, everybody here. This guy right here is known for being many things, mainly the first L.A. King that lifted the cup not once but twice here in L.A. He's played the most games, had the most hits, and accomplished more than most could dream of in his 18 years in L.A. But to my brothers and sister, he's just dad. Now that he's retiring, we're looking forward to all the fun things that we're going to, we're going to have him for, around for. He'll be home for every birthday, every holiday, and every hockey game playing. Want to coach? 
Now, it's not all good news for us kids. We get away with a lot, probably too much when he's on the road, and we don't really want to share our Xboxes and Playstations, so that will be an adjustment for us all. But in all seriousness, aside from having to share our toys with him now, we're so excited to have him around all the time. Dad, we're so proud of you and everything you've accomplished. You've been a great leader and role model for us all, and we love you. Now, let's go win the cup. Great stuff from one of the four brown children that were there on the stage along with Nicole and Dustin. Uh, we have, as part of Dustin Brown being on stage, he answered a series of questions from the media. There were two key answers that really resonated with me, and later on I ended up speaking to Matt Green and Jared Stoll about it. And uh, we'll have Brown, uh, Brown on a little bit later in this segment here where uh, he gave us some exclusive comments for Kings of the Podcast. But this is one of the first answers that he gave that really was a great one. He talks about energy and taking versus giving and the ball of energy. Here's Dustin Brown. Uh, there's a spirit or a energy to a team. And you come to the rink, we all bring the outside world to the rink. So essentially what I probably would have said is being a good teammate is there's that ball energy. Are you taking energy out of it or are you putting energy into it? Ask yourself that question every day. If you're adding energy to the ball, you're doing the right thing. I've had many days when I've been taking energy out of the ball, and those are learning lessons for me that I've had to learn the hard way. Um, that's how I think about like a team and how a good team becomes a great team, is if you have everyone adding energy and no one taking away, then we go to great heights. But if I, that's probably the best way to explain what I would say to prospects today. All right. In this next clip here, it's a follow-up to uh, Todd McClellan said at the end of the road trip there, you know, kind of, hey, rally everybody together. Let's go win it for Dustin Brown. And uh, Brownie wanted to sort of expand on that and give his take on that comment. Here's Dustin Brown. Well, I would tell them that they are playing for me, but they are playing not only for me, but for the guy next to them. And that's, um, I guess I'm just one of the, I'm just a guy next to them. Um, that's the way I've always looked at it, is we all have our different roles. We all have different attributes that we can bring. And yeah, this might be my last run, but you don't play for one person. You just play for the group. That's always, that's how we won two championships here. There wasn't, look around, there wasn't one guy that we rallied behind. It was, let's rally around all of us. And that's what it's about this time of year, I think. Okay, so those two answers right there um, sort of weave their way into some of the conversations that took place after the press conference. So when the press conference was over, Matt Green, who has had some, he's been very reluctant to show up on Kings of the Podcast, as we've joked about uh, here previously, had absolutely no problem uh, in talking to Greener when I uh, asked him for some audio that we could use on Kings of the Podcast. Of course, he was more than open to it uh, and, and wanted to talk about Dustin Brown. So here's a, a little snippet of some conversation with Matt Green. How surprised were you when you heard this? I mean, just it seems like Dustin still has a little bit left, but you, you knew the end was coming at some point. Yeah, I, I was surprised when he told me, but um, I think Dustin's very methodical, very, uh, very deep thinker. So if he says something, he means it. You know, it's not like he didn't put in the time to, to go through with his family and weigh the pros and cons. And it seems like he's very at peace with this with this decision. I know he's he's nervous with it right now, but you know, he, he feels that it's the best thing for him. And, support that 
happy for him. Have you spent any time reflecting over the last couple of days just about you know those early days and of him being in LA and you know yeah. you, you being here? No, we had a really good chance to catch up uh, in the last couple of days and uh, just talk, to share stories, and, and talk about really growing up together and growing, uh, you know, him growing into his captaincy role here uh, and watching him evolve as a player and and uh, and then just looking on and on too of just seeing you know how good of a role model he was in terms of off the ice, you know, parenting, being, uh, you know, having having his life together at an early age, which isn't uh, isn't always easy, and is a huge part of leadership that he brought to our team and uh and just just being steady i mean it's i think it's a testament to him how steady he was in those times he never really so even keel and uh and it really was a calming presence for us and he's uh he's our leader last one then just would be how different is it now with you being retired being away from the game to watch him mm-hmm. and think back to like you know do you see him through a different lens now that you're not in the room with him anymore um it's hard. I, I don't. I don't think I, I can ever see him in a different in a different role. I think it's uh, you know with the, with the guys that are still playing out there, you still feel. I still feel like I'm teammates with them. It's uh, it's a special bond, and it's uh, it's even with guys that are retired now too. You still that's the beauty of winning. You always have you always have that bond. You can always have that pinpoint memory in your head of of, uh, of you know, him getting a chance to achieve his dreams because it was the same time we did as well. And it's uh, so it's very hard to separate him in terms of, you know, from teammate to now just player. And that that will never happen. Okay, so thanks to Matt Green for making his first appearance here on Kings of the Podcast. It was uh, good times there talking to Matt Green, obviously an emotional day for a lot of former players that have connections to to Dustin Brown. And here's another guy who uh, wanted to weigh in and, and share some thoughts. Number 28, the unofficial captain back from those days, Jarrett Stoll. Everybody sort of knew this was coming at some point, but were you a little bit shocked when it when it happened this week? Uh, maybe a little bit. I just you know you. I, I knew just from talking to him that uh, you know his body was still feeling good. He was still a big part of the team. Um, like myself personally, I just to see him in another uniform, to see him playing somewhere else, playing maybe possibly playing against the Kings. Um, that would be really weird. And that would be uh, almost sad in a way. You know, uh, you always want someone to play as long as possible, but. If uh, if it's the time is the time for them <clears throat> to shut it down, then uh, he's being honest with himself and you know talking with Nicole and the family. And uh, if he thinks it's time, it's time. But yeah, it would have been really difficult to see him in another uniform. I was asking Greener this: Is it is it weird at all to see him through a different lens, right? Because you know, from teammate to now, you've been retired for a couple of years. You know, like what, what's that like from the other side of things? Yeah, it's yes and no. I guess there's there's certain things that he said even up there he's he's a little bit of a different a different person a different teammate now um and yeah he was he was he was quiet he was a quiet leader when we uh, when we played together and um you know he wasn't the raw raw guy and it wasn't the funny guy but now it seems like he's sounds like he's <laughs> got a got a little sense of humor going there all of a sudden but uh it's probably still the tech nerd though that he was back i, then, I right? think i think so probably yeah he's probably the best out of all the video gamers on the team probably but um but he's always been the uh, the classy guy that he you know he's always been that class he's always had that leadership um it's a it's a special leadership because he's not he's not like it's not like blah right in your face it's just kind of he does the right things and if people need to young people need to watch a pro like do certain things do it the right way um you know be at the rink on time train the right way um 
take care of yourself, eat the right way, you know, hydrate, all these things that it takes to be a good pro. Like that's that's what he's done for 18 years. So, um, and not just during the hockey season, but in the summertime. Um, so guys need to learn that, and guys need to look look at him and and uh, and just see how it is. But you don't just play 18 years, right? Just by by getting lucky and staying healthy and. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it and a lot of sacrifice and, and discipline, and Brownie has all that. So just one more quick one here then. I'm wondering if it stirred up anything in you because it did for me listening to him when he was talking about, look, don't don't rally around one guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he's talking about those 2012, 2014 teams, and now there wasn't yeah. anybody that you yeah. guys rallied around. As you think about going into this Edmonton series, did that yeah. resonate with you? Yeah, it did. It did. I thought I thought back. I'm like, did we did we rally around anybody <laughs> or whatever? Was there like a big moment or a big person or whatever? And there, yeah, there really wasn't. Not like this, and and I see what he's saying. He's putting it all back on the team, but but from all of us on the outside, we're all like, hey, no, let's win it for Brownie, right? And but in his mind, hey, we got to make sure we win it for everybody. I get that, but yeah, no, we didn't have a, a rallying point. We just rallied around each other, and once we won the first couple of games against Vancouver, you just start believing more and more and more that you can do it, and uh, and we had the group, the right group of guys to rally around, and now there's a one primary reason, but there's. 30 other reasons as well but uh yeah it's pretty special it was cool the way he said that and it was also cool the way he said what he would say to a prospect right now because in our line of work right now say me and greener and Odie, what would he say to the prospects that was really really well put about bringing you know sucking energy in or or, or, uh, putting it out and uh you need something very very strong to to do anything in life and if you're going to bring good energy to the group then then you're going to be wanted if you're not then hey you're your cancer and you should be traded or, or whatever you know it's just uh, I, I really liked how he said that all right so there's a couple of former players thanks again to matt green and to jared stoll uh moving on to management now king's general manager rob blake who has uh seen dustin brown from both sides of the ice uh here are some snippets from a conversation i had with gm rob blake you know you've had a close relationship with brown you yep. least said that you guys have talked a lot at any point did the retirement thing come up and maybe he wanted to get your opinion on things no not at all he came into my office monday afternoon we were leaving tuesday for seattle i had heard rumblings uh sunday i hadn't honest there was nothing before that uh had heard some rumblings on sunday he came in monday morning i was sitting with todd having a coffee and he's like um just want to let you guys know I'm retired. <laughs> that was it. Very simple. And he just said, he goes, it's it's time. I said, how long you know? And he said, eh, a few months. He goes, I I, I I could tell a few months. I didn't want, you know, obviously didn't want to be a, uh, any issues with us trying to get into the playoffs and everything. And he said, uh, he said if things work out here in the next couple of days and, and we clinch, I'd like to announce something. At the end. We said, we, well, you should, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so all this was kind of thrown together. Um, but he was very very quiet about it met with him at the deadline and it was all about what was going to happen the deadline said you know you're staying here there's nothing but there was no real talk on 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 next year or what he was wanting to do was he concerned at the deadline did he think there was a possibility that you might move him he said he didn't but i I, as a player you kind of know there's always that but uh, i told him in the summer i said we'll talk three different times this year we'll talk at the start of the season we'll talk at the deadline we'll talk at the end of the year so I, i think he knew that you know if there was any indication anything different we would have spoke about it but it was never that way when you what's it like from the other side i was talking with green and stoley about this right as a player and having people as a teammate but then now sitting in your seat you see the team differently what's it like seeing him as a player yeah it's uh 
it, it's similar. Um, like like I was saying here, they, those four guys that they, they spell they they share such a special bond. And 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 I'm not you know even not excluding like Green and Stoll. Like when when Greeny found out, I told him Tuesday morning. I said Brownie came to see me last night. He's going to retire. He wanted to know how to get into Vancouver. Like there wasn't even a thought. Stoley did too, but he had to do his TV from here, so they kind of got split that way. But um, no, they just they're they're a close group, and, and they should be from winning together. And with the four of them remaining, um, you know, he came and tell us Monday. I think he told those guys uh, Sunday night the four of them, and that's kind of where we started here in Roman. But that was his first uh, order of business was 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 to share with those. He addressed the team uh, um, in the morning in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. It was around 11:30. No, none of the kids knew. Those four guys didn't tell anybody. They kept it to themselves. Unfortunately, Drew wasn't in there. He yeah, made it back here today. So yeah. But uh, now they're a close group, and, and and they deserve that. Thank you, Blakey. From one Hall of Famer to another, uh, of course, number four is hanging in the rafters at Staples Center, and uh, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. As is number 20. Luke Robitaille and uh, had an opportunity to catch up with Luke and spend a little bit of time talking about moving from sort of him being the face of the franchise into Dustin Brown in the more contemporary times uh, being the face of the franchise. Here's uh, some of my conversation with Luke Robitaille. I remember being in San Jose for your final game. Mm -hmm. You're the face of the franchise. Mm -hmm. You are the LA Kings. Mm -hmm. People then were saying, I can't imagine the Kings without Luke as a player. And now it's Brownie. I can't imagine... Feels the same. Brownie. It yeah, feels, you get so it attached to uh, guys that have a passion for your organization. He played with so much passion, you know, and uh, and then as a fan too, you go with the up, you go through the ups and downs of the player. Yeah. And then there's defining moments, you know, like obviously for us, we all remember the big hits and some of the big goals and being a top winger and definitely raising the cup, being the first captain to raise the cup for us. That was that was special. It's it's uh, it's weird for me, but I understand it, and I know how hard it is when when you when you call it quit. And I, I joke with people that it takes you about five to ten years to say, you know what, it was hard my last two three years because you don't quite believe it's hard, you know, <laughs> physically, but it is. When when you heard the news, I mean, there's a part of you that probably wasn't surprised, but then at the same time, you are still a little bit surprised because it's the end. Uh, I, I would say we were a little bit surprised, uh, you know, like. Uh, you know, he had a really good year last year, and this year, you know, it was, it, he, he had really good moments. And then he got hurt, unfortunately. Shock, no, because you, you know as an athlete, there's a moment you go, okay. It's hard, like, every day to get prepared in the summer and everything to, to get ready for every game. So I get it. I, I would say I just understand where he's at. And when he talks about spending more time with his family, it is important. You don't want to miss those times, especially when you, it's so hard physically to get up for every game. Is there going to be a moment, I'm assuming it probably hasn't happened yet, but is there going to be a moment where maybe you try to console him a little bit and maybe offer him some advice about what that transition was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, if he wants to, I'll sit down with him and then we'll talk about it. Like, it's not the time now because right. this is... I love the fact that we're turning the page and now we give him a chance to perform in the playoffs. But when he's ready, uh, yeah, I'd love to sit down with him and, and, and see where he wants to, to go. I mean, I've, I've talked to many players around the league. A lot of the guys sometimes call me about their path and what they want to do. And, uh, you know, Brownie's not going to be the guy that's just going to go play golf every day. I know he's <laughs> going to want to do something. So he, he would be really good for our franchise. All right, and saving the best for last. Uh, now, of course, the man of the hour, 
uh, and the man who will be the man of the hour here for the remainder of the Stanley Cup playoffs, as long as the LA Kings are playing here in the postseason. He's retiring at the end of the year. Uh, he has nearly every record in the LA Kings record book. And uh, of course, his number 23, it is going to the rafters next year. They're working on picking the date. Uh, a game day has not been selected yet as the schedule is not even available yet. If it was up to me, DB, I say you do it on opening night. Sure. Uh, but if you if you want to wait, it's going to happen at some point next season. Confirmed, it will happen. 23 is going to the rafters. I had an opportunity to have a conversation with Dustin Brown. Here are a couple of the uh, the questions that he and I went back and forth on. Number 23, Dustin Brown. There were two key points in what you were saying today that seemed to resonate with people. And one of them was talking about not rallying around one person and rallying around the team. Was that, I'm just curious, was that something that you really wanted to interject in today or was that kind of spontaneous um, a little bit? It kind of, there was something said yesterday by Todd and I appreciate the gesture of the idea. Um, but for me, like this time of year, it's just, I know this is a special moment or a special year for me in my that's significant to me but i just fundamentally think this time of year it is about the group full stop um the only difference for me is i just won't do this again but for all these other guys it's they got m more years ahead of them um i guess my only hope is that i can just rub off as much as i can on these guys and um i mean obviously hopefully we win another cup but and the, the other point that seemed to resonate was when you were talking about the prospects and the messages. And again, I'm just wondering, was that somewhat intentional to all the guys that are sitting there behind you? Yeah. I, um, I think we have built a culture here. Um, we've had our ups and downs over the last 15 years, but there's still a pretty good, at least amongst the players, of what it means. Um, and I do remember Foxy was bringing up that. I remember addressing the prospects at one point. I don't remember what I said, but like I said, after the fact, that's how I look at about a team is the ball of energy. you got to be adding to the ball, not taking away. That's important for superstars to understand and for the role players to understand that this game is just its a team game. Yeah. Uh, the last one is I know I asked you about talking to, to Dewey about the – the announcement or the fact that you made the decision. Timeline-wise, it looks like that maybe you had shared that with them when you guys got to Seattle or somewhere around then. Can you just talk about the emotions of what that moment was like for you, though, of actually having to say <clears throat> the words out loud to them? Um, I can't remember what day it was. My It's been a whirlwind for me, but um, I made the decision, called my family, let my parents know. Um, I wanted to do it. Or a little earlier, but Vegas went and screwed things up by getting an <laughs> overtime point. Because I just didn't, ultimately, fundamentally, I just didn't want to be a distraction. Because um, when I was coming back from injury, I don't know how many games we had left, but I think we were three, four. Like, it was, it's tight. I, that was my focus is just getting there. I was really hoping I would have had a little bit more time, but that's just how it worked out. And then uh, with those three specifically, I just called them all. Uh, actually started with a text, but just the way it worked out. Um, that was hard. That was a really hard day, but then it then it was just more, excuse me, um, the next couple days were just tough because I was carrying, like they knew, I knew, but like I was carrying it with me. Um, and then I addressed the team and 
yesterday morning, and that was really hard, really, to say the least. Um, Is that when Kopi said he would give you the seat for the game? That was, uh, he had known, obviously, Kopi, a few people... That's what I'm saying is yeah. a few people, I reached out and said, hey, I'm letting you guys know. Right. I don't want to blindside you guys, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's levels. Yeah, sure. So yeah. uh, I addressed the team. Kopi had already arranged that. Oh, okay. So that was all. Yeah, he d- okay. Well, yeah, he did. He asked me first, if, oh, okay. and I, I said I'd appreciate that and more of a, I think, a nod to our relationship than anything else. It's not really about the sea. It's about... I think the relationship we have had, considering the history, and I said that the day all that stuff happened was, Kopi, just another, like, he's just my boy. <laughs> like, whether he wears a C or I wear the C, he, it's not like, you know, I get, when stuff like that happens, it's, people ask, like, oh, is that going to affect the, the relationship? We need to talk about it one day. And he's going to take it back for the playoffs? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um... It's just, I think, a more of a, a picture into what type of relationship we do have. Lovely. Thanks, Brandy. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, and one final comment here from Brownie. Uh, I tweeted a bunch of stuff out, and just to kind of put the timeline together here, if you're, you know, if you're weaving a story together throughout these these comments from from Blake and, and Green and you know Dustin Brown himself as well. Um, just one more little thing there. There was a surprise uh, that was coming, and I tweeted that the surprise was coming at 6.30 uh, in, as the players took to the ice for the pregame, and that was that Dustin Brown was going to wear the C. Exactly what happened? Well, number 11 offered him the C, and here's Dustin explaining it in his own words. I said I'd appreciate that, and more of a, I think, a nod to our relationship than anything else. It's not really about the C. It's about... I think the relationship we have had, considering the history, and I said that the day all that stuff happened was Kopi, just another, like, he's just my boy. All right, that's enough of this. Uh, I I can't take any more, DB. We're going to have to get some tissues. We're going to have to dry our eyes, and uh, we'll take a quick break. For one of the rare times in Kings of the Podcast history, we're going to go into overtime, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to collect ourselves. Thank you, of course, to Dustin Brown, Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, Matt Green, Jared Stoll, etc., for sharing all of that audio with us here on Kings of the Podcast. A packed third period. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll do overtime. DB and I will share our thoughts. Defeat them, your demons, and all the non-believers, the plans that they have made. Because one day, I'll leave you a phantom to lead you in the summer to join the Black Parade. Okay, you don't hear this very often. Overtime on Kings of the Podcast. We have covered a lot of ground so far. We've covered all eight playoff series. We dug in, went deep on the Kings and the Oilers with Jason Greger. We uh, have also played a ton of audio from various people from the Dustin Brown press conference on Friday. Dennis, have you collected your breath yet? Are you are you ready to get started here and uh, share a couple of our uh, sort of personal and private moments with Dustin Brown? Yeah, I want to know at what point on Friday did you tear up, John? Um, 
probably driving there uh, would have been okay. the first time. Uh, in, in all seriousness, though, uh, you know, you're trying to act tough, right? And you're trying to be yeah. a professional. Um, I sat at the press conference next to Matt Price, uh, who has been on the podcast yep. as well, was a fabulous guest. Uh, he's way more than the strength and conditioning guy. They call him the scientist, by the way, which we didn't even have time to work into the <laughs> podcast. He is the scientist. And I think they've even now modified his job title. So he's like the official sports scientist of the team or whatever. But uh, Price was a great guy. I'm sitting next to him. Um, I'm trying not to let him see me tear up because I'm trying to play it cool. Oh, and Dennis, on top of all of that, the media had to wear masks. I haven't worn a mask in months. <laughs> right, and I'm wearing right. I'm wearing a mask at the press conference. Oh, and God. so, you know, as you're as you're sort of getting emotional, your, your nose starts to run a little bit. And right. Sure. I have to keep moving course. the mask and I didn't bring a tissue. And I don't care, people, if you want to call me a crybaby, you're talking about yeah. one of the most I'm an emotional guy, Dennis. I wear my well, heart on my sleeve. You know that. Yes. And uh, Dustin Brown. This is a player that, I mean, you know, I'm a big draft junkie yep. uh, in 2003. This mm -hmm. was the guy. This was the guy that I wanted the LA Kings to draft. They don't, they, they very rarely seem to draft the guy that I want them to draft. They drafted the guy that I wanted that year. And so um, I think it made it all that much more special sort of to follow his career. And uh, if you just let me sort of finish this thought and I'll turn it over to you, Dennis, uh, sure, Jay. not, not only from the draft and, you know, coming out of the OHL, but, the lockout happened soon thereafter, and uh, I was in Manchester. I watched Dustin Brown play as a member of the Manchester Monarchs um, during that lockout that year there, which I think was his second pro year, if I remember correctly. Uh, I, I've seen Dustin Brown play uh, at the Olympics internationally, uh, you know, in, in Vancouver as well. Him wearing the A on his jersey. Um, weird times as well, wearing 32 instead of 23 when he's at the Olympics. That's, that's <laughs> kind of weird because to me, he only wears one number, which is 23. Right. Um, being on the ice when the LA Kings won their cup in 2012 and seeing the look on his face after he had just raised the cup above his head and the kids are on the ice and Nicole's on the ice and uh, that, that sticks with me. But Dennis, you know, he referenced it during my brief conversation with him there losing the C. I just want to go on the record and say this, Dennis, sure. the hardest story that I've ever broken. Of course, the story that I wrote that I didn't want to write. The story yep. that I wrote that I never wanted to hit publish on was him losing the captaincy. And I wrote mm -hmm. that story four or five months before it happened. Some people thought I was crazy. They didn't understand what was going on, but I had some information. I knew what was happening. I couldn't believe that they were taking the C off of Dustin Brown. And his comments when I spoke to him um, after it happened and basically just downplaying the whole thing and mm -hmm. saying, look, hey, man, the media is going to make a big deal out of this and they're going to create drama and they're going to, they're going to wonder if it's going to cause a wedge between, you know, myself and number 11 and there's no wedge. I don't care. Like it's not a big deal. That's my guy. And I'm good. I'm good with him wearing the C Dustin never, I've never seen a negative quote about it, Dennis, anywhere mm -hmm. publicly or privately. I just think that when I look back on his career, the way that he handled that with class and dignity and the way that he did, that's one of the things that I'll remember as much as I remember any goal, any hit, you know, the Stanley Cups and everything else. I just think, man, I, I watched them take the C from Mike Madonna and uh, I disliked that. And I, I talked with Mo about that, I think, back on one of the Mayor's Manor podcasts before this podcast existed. And seeing them take that captaincy away from Dustin Brown, um, it's this is not a diss on Andre Kopitar in any way whatsoever. It's not about who, who, who wore the C after. I'm just saying, though, Dennis. 
when you think of the captaincy and you think of Los Angeles, you do think of Dustin Brown because of those iconic moments in 2012 and 2014. So thank you to DB23 uh, for yeah. the original DB, by the way, DB. Uh, yes. Thank you to <laughs> DB23 for 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 all of the conversations, um, including including sharing some exclusive thoughts with me right after the series uh, against Phoenix or Arizona, whatever the coyotes in 2012 and getting his reaction to what Shane Doan had told me. So there've been just so many moments that uh, yeah. it's been a lot of fun and uh, it's hard to believe that it's almost over Dennis. And hopefully, hopefully this run here in the playoffs lasts uh, many, many weeks and, 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 you know, maybe even many months so that uh, we can, we can really soak in as much of Dustin Brown as there possibly is to give. Yeah. Only American captain to raise the cup twice. Uh, and John, you mentioned about the, the transition from the sea, like a, a lesser guy would have asked for a trade asked to be out. What, his, what was his goal to retire a King? Yeah. And that's what he's going to do. And that's why you know, people ask me, well, when there was uncertainty in the season, I said, no, nah, I think it's either going to retire or he's going to, you know, play next season, one more season for a King. I'll give you my personal story. And it goes, it, it transitions from 2012 to now 2012. The first, uh, yeah. I, I like you watched Dustin play for what five six seasons, and but in 2012 when the trade rumors came out, uh, Daryl didn't want him on the team, and then these you know that legendary story about like we could go in the room and saying you're not being traded, him going Chicago, yeah, your Chicago hat trick, right? The whole thing. Like during that time, here's here's how I got to know Dustin. I got a DM from him on Twitter saying my wife wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, okay, this shit just got real. <laughs> I, and it was about the trade rumors. And I just told her what I knew. And I said, look, I think this might be a little bit of, you know, staging or whatever, but I'm not really sure. But ever since then, um, uh, they've become friends and it's gotten very personal. Uh, I got to, and as you've been to my office, there's a, there's a picture of me drinking the, out of the cup with Dustin holding it. Like we've become friends. And, and to fast forward to this past week, um, after Wednesday night's game, uh, both me and actually Dave Panyota, we got a text from Dustin um, saying he considered us both friends um, and he wanted to let us know that he was retiring before the announcement. He says, look, the one thing about you, and you, you're the same way, John, we always sh shot it straight with Dustin. We were straight shooters and he appreciated that. He may not have wanted to hear it all the time, like, but he he's a straight shooter himself. And so he asked us to keep it private. And it's funny, John, because both you and I knew. Yeah. And we but couldn't we tell each other. Yeah, but we, we didn't know that the other one knew. I said, I can't. And I turned to my, I turned to PJ. Look, I can't tell John. Like no. he's asking me to keep it private. I'm sure the same yeah. thing with you. Like, yeah, I, I was sworn to secrecy. Exactly. You were sworn to secrecy. I know. And it's funny because people, they, people do think that you and I tell each other everything. And we there don't. are certain stories you can't share. I we just it. don't share. And, and yeah. And, and I also did this. I didn't want to break the story because I knew he wanted to tell the teammates on, totally. uh, on Thursday morning. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Several several people in the Kings organization knew that I knew, and actually yeah. at the um, at the press conference thanked me for not yeah. leaking the story. And I was like, "Man, you guys don't know me. If you think that I would leak yeah. that story, I'm not leaking that story. I, you know, I'll break a lot of stories. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of them they get really mad that I do, but some things are just personal. And it was and, yeah. And Dustin Brown is personal to me, very very personal, Dennis. Yeah, and I, I text PR and I said, "Look, by the way, I know." And like, uh, so we had a conversation. So look, I'm, and like you, I said, I'm not going to upstage that announcement. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. And so I said, well, well when are you going to release it? They said, and they gave me the time. I said, well, I mean, right after you guys release it, I'm going to go with it. But I, right. I would never do that to a guy who's become a friend. I've been to his house. I've been to both his houses in, in here in Manhattan Beach and, and Ithaca. Really good friends, as you know, with, with Nicole. And now he can become a house husband. 
and let her uh, manage the uh, Junior Kings. But uh, a very special player. And John, just backtracking to your uh, the story that you wrote that you didn't want to publish. Like that wasn't the most difficult one. That was the first, second, and third most difficult one for you to publish. I know. Like I, I know. Like what an emotional time that must have been for you to to know that and write that about a player that you're so emotionally invested in. So, you know, kudos to you because that, look, I'll tell you this, John, I don't know if I would have wrote that story and I don't know if I would have published it. That's how much the guy means to me, but I know that that's a major thing. So, so kudos to you. Cause I know, I know like when you're typing at your keyboard, that story, how excruciating difficult it is. Because yeah. that's and John, yes, he's gotten over it. But I will tell you, the weeks right after it happened, it wasn't a good time for Dustin. Mm -hmm. it, 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 here's a very prideful guy who doesn't speak a lot, but his worries, his words carry so much weight. Like mm -hmm. it was prideful, but but thankfully, because of the friendship with with Anjay, that it, it 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 found its way to the normal place it should have been, right? So yeah, so just I remember those times, and I'm just and I don't think I've ever said this to you publicly or privately, but. I I can't imagine like the magnitude of that story and have to write it and, and and your feelings about that player. So just you know, kudos to you for for just powering through and and doing what you had to do professionally. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, it gets me kind of kind of choked up just letting you hearing you you know talk about it because um, it was a tough article and uh, you know it's a tough article for a lot of reasons, including the fact that I know that I was going to be in the room a couple of days later. And, you know, that's, that's just, that's right. tough, man. That's really tough. And uh, yep. I know that that's part of what, you know, what comes with this gig and that I knew that it was going to yeah. piss some people off and it was going to turn some people off and sure. um, you know, but it was such a big story that I, I did want to get out in front of it because I wanted, I, I, I wanted it's going to sound maybe weird and people think I was making it about me, but it wasn't about me. I wanted my voice to be heard, but not because I wanted my voice to be heard. I wanted my voice to be heard about Dustin Brown. I wanted to yeah. talk about, yeah. you don't do this to Dustin Brown. And that, you know, and it's yeah. funny because this, the article kind of ends with, in my opinion, there needs to be a statue outside of Staples. And, you yeah. know, later they ended up putting a statue of Dustin Brown outside of right. Staples. And right. I, I will tell you this also that uh, that story still resonates with a lot of people inside Kings management. And it was, it was somebody with inside King's management that, um, that, that broke the story to me about the statue being put up because they, they, I think you can, I think you can, I would like to believe Dennis, I don't want to say I, I know this for sure, but I would like to believe that if a King's fan reads that article, mm -hmm. I think you can feel the emotion. Yeah, I'd like to believe that you can. So yes. I think, I think that's what, uh, why people knew that it was a little bit more, it, it was personal. And, um, you know, it's funny. You say Dustin's over it. I'm just going to go on the record and tell you, Dennis, I'm not over it. Okay. I'm not, I, 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 okay. I, I don't agree with the decision. And again, I say that with all due respect to Kopitar, sure. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'd like to believe I have a great relationship with Kopi too, but it, it, they're independent. They're, it's, it's not, it's not one or the other. It's an independent comment. When I tell you that I'm not over, it's because I don't agree with it. And, and right. you know, Dean, Dean didn't call me and ask me my opinion, but <laughs> if somebody would have called and asked my opinion, I would have vehemently argued for a long time. No, you don't do that. You just don't. The optics are wrong. And, uh, you know, he's earned, he's earned better. And, um, I liked when Todd said that at the end of the press conference, uh, just to circle back and wrap this up, DB, when yeah. Todd said, not at the press conference on Friday, but the press conference, the, the post game commentary, when Todd said, hey, look, uh, you know, this all came together kind of quickly and the announcement happened quickly and, and Dustin deserves better than something being very rushed and he will get it. 
I firmly agree with that. Uh, he, he does deserve yes. better. Um, but I love what Brownie said on the audio that I played earlier as well when he said to me that, hey, look, I wanted to announce this a little bit earlier, but Vegas screwed it all up. So, right. <laughs> you know, the ultimate captain, the ultimate team guy, he right. put the team first. He didn't want to be a distraction. He wanted to wait until they made the playoffs. And uh, once it really came down to that point, he was understated in the whole thing. He walks in, he just says to Rob Blake, oh, hey, uh, ho-hum, by the way, uh, you know, I'm going to retire. Yeah. It's time. And you wouldn't expect anything else from Dustin Brown. He's a ho-hum guy, but uh, what a fabulous press conference. Great to see yeah. uh, Nicole up there. And uh, you asked earlier when I got emotional. Man, um, looking at his kids uh, during mm -hmm. the press conference, sure. they were really tore up, Dennis. And while yeah. they might be excited um, that dad's going to be home a lot more, I think the idea uh, of him not playing for the Kings was starting to set in a little bit yeah. as the press conference wore along. And sure. uh, let's not think about that DB. Let's uh, okay. even though, even though 23 says don't win it for Dustin, you know, win it for the team. I'm going to tell you right now, Dennis, come on guys, win it for 23. Let's get it right. done. I don't care if it's in four five, six or seven games, beat the Oilers. Let's go Dennis. Absolutely. Jay. All right. Outstanding episode, Dennis. I'm drained. I can't go any longer no, on this no. podcast. Um, thank done. you to Jason Greger for coming on and and talking uh, Kings Oilers with us. Dennis, thank you for the playoff predictions and uh, all of the banter. Uh, oh, real quickly, we do need to go over the LA Kings Awards. I'm so sorry. Let's jam this yes. in before we wrap up. Uh, you and I, you know, I don't know. I'm just not in the mood to argue right now. So normally it's one of my favorite days of the year. We get to argue, but uh, let's just hit the awards real quickly and see and compare notes. The LA Kings MVP Dennis, the winner was Philippe Deneau, and I went with Philippe Deneau. Who did you give your vote to? Likewise. Philippe okay, so, so that's boring. We agreed. Um, the next one was the best newcomer. Uh, Philippe Deneau was the winner. I went with Philippe Deneau. Who did you go with? Philippe Deneau. Okay, so <laughs> this is going to be a short segment. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see. The uh, Actually, there's a lot of controversy. Um, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound overly dramatic here, but there's a lot of controversy on this one. Um, the outstanding defenseman, uh, as voted by the media, the winner was Matt Roy, and my vote went to Drew Doughty. Who did you go with? Matt Roy. All right, so here's the deal, DB. Yeah. In years past, they had given us very specific rules, and you had to play over half the season. So you had mm -hmm. to play a minimum of 42 games. Right. And uh, Drew Doughty played like 36, 38 games, something like that. So he technically would not have been eligible. So I guess you can throw my vote out. But I would also argue the other side of it that, hey, we didn't get the specific rules this year. I did have somebody in PR sure. kind of give me a uh, an under uh, give me a little jab or an uppercut and basically saying, well, we just assumed that the media knew, you know, not to not to vote for somebody <laughs> who played 30 some odd games. So right. I guess I didn't know. I mean, I just tried to play by the rules. But I would sure. say Doughty only because. I mean, like, okay, if you want to exclude Dowdy, then I guess I would go with Matt Roy. But you could also make arguments for several other guys. I mean, I would maybe argue Alex Edler. How many games did he play? Did he qualify? Did he play 42? Probably not. So I guess he's, I guess it's Roy by default. Yeah. And not for nothing, Roy was, Roy was a plus 23, John. He just is not a great offensive player. Uh, right. So so to me, uh, I just think the best defenseman. And it's not even, it's tough, John, because he's a one way guy. He's a defensive guy. He's not an offensive guy. And you look at Sean Dursey, who came on the scene and, and did well offensively. So to me, uh, yeah, I couldn't vote for Drew because I just, it's not enough body of work this year. Fine. All right. So I guess throw my vote out. Okay. No. Uh, but if you ask me to throw my vote out and to pick somebody else, I still don't know if I would pick Matt Roy. So I'd have to spend more time on it. And I'm not going to do that today. Uh, defensive player of the year. This one kind of surprised me, Dennis. I was trying yeah. to go a little bit off the board. I voted yep. for Trevor Moore. And then guess what? Trevor, Trevor Moore, Moore won. won. Yep. Who'd you go yeah. with? 
I went with Kopi because he still okay. plays, you know, a, you know, a, a minute and a half more than Phil Deneau. He was almost 57% of his face off. So, but look, good for, good for Trevor. Like what a season for him and, and a plus 20. So the guy, you know, is intense. He's really established himself in Los Angeles. I had no problem with Trevor. I was a little bit surprised though when I saw the name, but then when I thought about it, sure. Um, no problem with that, uh, with that, uh, with that poll. So hopefully I redeemed myself with LA Kings PR. If they threw my vote out with Drew Doughty, hopefully they looked and said, oh, Trevor Moore, he got that one right. So I went three for four. Uh, Dennis, my three candidates for that category came down to Kopitar, Deneau, and mm -hmm. Moore. And I will just tell you that if I didn't go with Moore, I probably was going to go with Deneau, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So I probably would have gone three of the categories uh, would have gone to Phil Deneau. I couldn't give him outstanding defenseman only because he doesn't play that position. <laughs> but I mean, if they would let me, I probably would have just put Deneau on all four categories. The uh, the Ace Bailey Memorial Award, which is the most inspirational player as voted by the players. So you and I did not get a vote. Phil Deneau won that as well. Unsung Hero went to Blake Lazat. That's also voted by the players. So uh, way to go. And then the fans, uh, they had a, a vote in all of this as well. Player of the Year presented by McDonald's. Uh, that winner was Philippe Deneau, so he won everything. Uh, and then the Booster Club had most popular player. They went with Adrian Kempe. The Jim Fox Community Award went to Dustin Brown, who seems to win that award almost regularly. And the Daryl Evans Youth Hockey Service Award, as voted by the LA Kings Hockey Development Department, also went to Dustin Brown. So congratulations there. The, uh, the King Clancy Award, uh, you had Cal Peterson. The Masterton Memorial Trophy nominee uh, was Blake Lazat. And Kopitar was, of course, the leading goal scorer for the 14th time, fifth consecutive year. Um, he, leading uh, point score, not goal score. I'm sorry, the leading the leading point score. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I was I was reading ahead on the Marcel Dion part, who won it nine times. Uh, Gordy Howe, 17 times, is the only player, the only two players. Excuse me. Uh, this is an important point. Kopitar and and Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe. Uh, he joins him as the only two players in NHL history to lead the same team in points. Mm -hmm at least 14 times. <laughs> so uh, not not this year and not next year, but at some point, DB, we just yes. uh, we did the Dustin Brown uh, episode. We're going to have to do the Andre Kopitar episode. We'll be talking a lot about number 11 when he eventually hangs him up. Many, several, sometime down the road, many years from now. Yeah, no, no question, Jake. All right, episode 126 is in the books. Enjoy the playoffs. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. Kings versus Oilers. We'll talk to you guys soon.